We're going to have it on the screen, but if you've got your Bible there or your Bible app or whatever it is, turn to Jonah. We're going to be looking at Jonah. Well, Kerry's going to be looking at Jonah today, so we're just going to unpack that together. But let's read together. Before we do that, let's say a really fast prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, being able to meet together, sing together about you and to you and for you. We thank you that we can come and we come now with an attitude and a heart of mind to go, hey, what, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to us corporately? What do you want to say to me personally? Help us to leave here um, having grown a little bit more than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord set a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm across that ship threatened to break up. And all of the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast our lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he said, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Awesome. Yeah, like Dan said, we're just going to get into the habit of just reading the Word aloud together and just allowing the Word to speak to us without an interpretation, which is probably what I'm going to do now, but without any other, anybody else's words, without any of that, just allow the Word to wash over us just for a few moments. And thank you, team. You guys are amazing. Thank you. So, <laughs> most people have, ever, have, have only ever heard about Jonah in Sunday school. Was that you? Put your hand up. Anyone here, like, the book of Jonah is kind of a little bit comical and a little bit dumb. Anyone? Yeah? Thank you for being honest, Sophia. You're the best. (laughs) And now put your hand up if you've ever thoroughly and thoughtfully read through that book. A few. A few. Ah, yeah. Good on you guys. It's actually an amazing book. And... um, The deal with the book of Jonah is because it has been told, and lots of Old Testament stories really have been told as children's stories, right? Does anyone remember Veggie Tales, by the way? Oh, we weren't allowed to watch Ninja Turtles, but we were allowed to watch Veggie Tales because talking vegetables is better than talking turtles, right? Makes total sense. And um, so most of us have only heard there's lots of amazing Old Testament stories and, you know, display the power of God and amazing things happen. But often when we tell them to our children, and especially in the church over the last kind of couple of hundred years, really just boil it right down to like one simple message, which is like, be a good person, basically. And so by doing that, what happens is we just miss, we just miss the significance and the power and um, the detail of these awesome stories. And I... Oh, I loved writing this message so much and I can't wait for next week. We're going to do it in two parts this week and next week. So make sure you come back. No spoilers if you've already read it. Actually, if you haven't already read it, why don't you do that this week? Just read through. It's only four chapters. Read through the whole thing like three times. You're going to love it. I loved it so much. Andrew was like, stop talking about it. I know you love it. That's great. You need to stop talking about it. So we get all the time because of our children's stories, right? We get, we, we hear all the time, Jonah and the, Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the fish. Some translations say fish, Jonah and the whale. And I just feel like that is so sad because the whale in the story, the fish in the story, if you like, is only responsible for two verses, out of the four chapters, but he gets all the attention. And that's because it's a fun kid's story, right? It's amazing that a whale would swallow a person. Do you know that's actually happened recently in the last few years? In fact, I think it was only in the last couple of weeks that's happened as well. Anyway, what I'd love to say to you is there's two barriers that I just want to destroy about the book of Jonah before we look at it really closely. And the first barrier that I'd just love to destroy is this idea that because a whale swallowed a person, (laughs) that it's like a litmus test for our faith. So like we either believe that what we read in the book of Jonah, that God really, that the the, the fish really did eat Jonah and he's a God of miracles and that's true. VeggieTales song, right? He's the God of miracles. So cool. If you haven't watched it, I'm going to, 
I'll try and post a link in the church Facebook group. You're going you're gonna to love it. You're going to love it. So we're faced with this decision of like we either believe that God works miracles and the way, this is a true story, a real story, and the whale did really swallow Jonah, or this is just like a parable. And so there are lots of scholars that believe like on both sides of the um, argument. So some people feel like, yep, this is a, a parable, and it's based on the st- it's the person. It was real about the. Pa- it's a parable. It's presented as a parable, and that's a lot of Jewish thought, kind of um, along those lines. And then the other the other people think, the other scholars think that this was a true story, and this did happen. I think asking the question, is it true or is it not? Did it re- do a whale really swallow a person? Probably did because it's happened recently. But that's not a good question for us, okay? So let's throw that out the window. Can you do that? Just throw it out the window right now in your brain. Just pretend you're throwing it away. <laughs> you're throwing it away. <clears throat> um, but this story is really, it's such a punch in the guts for you and I. And so welcome to church. It's going to be so great. <laughs> it kind of might, this week and next week, um, it kind of might feel like a bit of a punch in the guts to us because we're looking at this imperfect man who was a servant of God, who didn't act like a servant of God. <laughs> so this, this story isn't actually talking, I mean, that we hear about Nineveh and the people that were far from God and the Bible says didn't know their left hand from their right hand, didn't know right from wrong. And that's why Jonah was sent to them. But we're not, the, the focus of the story is not necessarily on them. The focus of the story is on this man who says, yes, I'm a prophet, I'm God's man, but I'm not behaving as though, that I, as though I am. And so it might feel like a bit of a punch in the guts. But what I would love for us to do this morning is to move from the idea of Jonah and the whale to let's Jonah, the book of Jonah for us is like a mirror. It's like a mirror. So as we read through the book together, um, we will see, and I saw parts of myself, parts of my character parts of my disobedience in this mirror. Who can I see in this mirror? Is it really awkward being able to see yourself? No? Who's having a bad hair day? You want me to move it? (laughs) Just right right here. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk about what does this mean for you and I as we live in Armadale? Like what does this mean for us today? Because it's great to read through, when we read through the Bible, uh, one of my favorite speakers, Shane Willard, some of you might know, um, one thing he says is we want to ask the questions, what happened? What happened in this story? And what's happening in me now because of that? So they're not disjointed, reading this old story, we're not dis- it's not disjointed. This is like a mirror, we return to the mirror and we say, what are you trying to say to us, God? Is that cool? Not Jonah and the whale, Jonah as a mirror, Jonah as a mirror. Awesome. So... Just point number one, that just, I've just got some observations really and then we're just going to um, have a moment to respond. And the first thing is, oh, have we got the next slide please? Oh, here we go. As we read through the book of Jonah, let's be curious, say curious, open and humble. And remember that Jonah is a mirror. Don't, just forget about, forget about the fish. Forget about it. Actually, we were, Dan and I were talking, what's a really creative way we could present this story of Jonah? It's like, we could make a massive paper mache fish mouth and put it at the front of the church and everyone has to walk through the fish's mouth to get into church. And we didn't do that. Yeah, someone's like, where is it? Next week, Dan, come on. And um, not a combo for now. Oh, the fish guts were going to be on the ground. You know when you spread um, 
like rose petals, like <laughs> for a romantic. Dan thought fish guts instead, so, but we didn't do that. The other idea was we could give everyone a goldfish and we decided not to do that. Anyway, come back, focus, focus. So when you and I think of disobedience, we usually think of like lying to your husband, cheating on your wife, all of the people in the nightclub losing their mind, cheating on your taxes, stealing cars, you're in a gang, all this kind of stuff. This is what we think of when we think about obedience. Maybe they're going for Queensland, that kind of thing. I'm sorry, I'll stop. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Don't walk out. Don't walk out. So it's really interesting to me that when we read this account of Jonah, it's not addressing any of those things. How surprising that all of the running from God in this account is done by a prophet of God, a man of God, a man who says, I belong to God. Tim Keller, thank you, God, for Tim Keller wrote recently that Jonah is the prodigal prophet. He shows us that you can be a prophet and yet have disobedience creep into your heart. Like Jonah is God's person. He's like God's partner, God's right-hand man. So what is this all about? The Bible says of the people of Nineveh that they didn't know their right their right hand, their right from their uh, wrong. They didn't know their right hand from their left. Um, but Jonah did. <laughs> and this is why God decided to have compassion on the people of Nineveh because they didn't know, but Jonah did know, right? And if you're a Christian today, lots of people don't know, but you know, and I know, and I know. And so let's talk about this. What does this mean for us? So if you've been in church forever, this book is actually for you. It's for you and I. It's for you and I. (laughs) So my observation here is that disobedience can be disguised in religion. Disobedience can be disguised in religious activity, like doing religious things. You can go to the next slide, Abs. Because disobedience isn't always an observable action on the outside, right? You can't always see someone's motives. You can't always see what someone does maybe at home in their own house or whatever, whatever it is, the thoughts that they have. It's not always observable. Sometimes our disobedience is this quietness in our own heart, something that we're not surrendering to God, um, something that is pulling us further, pulling us further away from God. So we can be running from God in our own heart and no one else would ever know. (laughs) And this is why I'm so grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit because without him we would be lost. (laughs) We would be running our own way. In our hearts we would be running our own way. So in fact, when Jonah did deliver God's word, like very badly, if you go ahead and read, terrible, what the worst sermon ever written, when he did finally deliver this to Nineveh, he was doing the right thing, but still with the wrong heart, still with the wrong heart. So I just thought of a few scenarios that I'm going to throw out there. I know this would never be you guys, and it's never been me. We might be going to all of the Bible studies and understanding complex theology But is it changing us? Is it changing us? We might say and do all the right things on the outside, outwardly. But are we just people-pleasing, maybe? We might be crying here during worship, like we often do. But are we actually living a life of worship when we leave this place? Are we singing, he's the rock on which I stand, but we're leaning on our own understanding and our own judgments and what we think is best, (laughs) our own human wisdom? Are we saying amen when we hear someone talk about like God forgiving people, 
but we're still holding unforgiveness in our own hearts and waiting for God to deal with them, just like Jonah was. Are we asking for prayer points, but really we're using them just for gossip? I know no one would do this really quiet. I know no one would do that here. Are we running from a relational conflict where God might be asking us to address the condition of our heart towards someone? Are we running from drawing boundaries that will keep us spiritually healthy, even though we know that God wants us to listen to him in that? Let's be people who go deeper than this. Let's be people who go deeper than running from God. Let's be people who, you know, the the benchmark for our Christianity isn't just attending church on Sundays, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart, changing us and making us more Christ-like. Because following Jesus is so much more beautiful and life-changing and powerful than just that. But we've got to stop running. We've got to stop running from God. Maybe it's in a big thing. Maybe it's in a tiny thing. And we need to assess this in every small detail of our hearts, in our emotions, in our motives, in our lives. And we're not just running. We're not just running to escape Armadale Winters. Who's thought about that recently? Be truthful. Put your hand up. Same dude. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) No. We love Armadale. (laughs) Just not winter. Yeah. Yeah. We have considered moving to the coast. I believe that there is a deeper journey of faith and trust ahead of us that is full of authenticity. Listen, it's full of healing. It's full of flourishing. It's full of confident hope for our lives if we stop running. If we stop running. Am I willing to look in the mirror like we talked about, to look in the mirror of God's word and truthfully assess my obedience to God? Is is God waiting for you to stop running? Is God waiting for me to stop running? Second second observation I'd like to share with you is that running is expensive. (laughs) Running from God is expensive. It costs us to run from God. And we've read in Jonah um, that Jonah actually paid a fare, didn't he, to get on the boat. He didn't just like decide to go the other way. He actually paid money, lots of money, to go very, very far in the opposite direction. Running from God sometimes costs us and not just in our money. Hey, that's not what I'm talking about. He paid money and risked his life to go in the opposite direction. Have you ever done that? Like figuratively, have you ever done that? You knew the decision wasn't good, but you just made it anyway. And you still spent the money and you still spent the time and maybe you did something, you just abused your own health and you still paid a price to disobey. You felt a little bit unsettling in your guts, but you ignored it and now it's beginning to cost you your peace. Has anyone ever felt that? Oh, I have. And usually our disobedience, it's not like, it's a thousand tiny moral decisions. It's not like one big scandal. It's like one by one by one tiny decisions that bring chaos and bring distance between us and God. So just go back for a moment and check Jonah chapter 1, 11 and 12, if you've got it in front of you. Have a quick read. Who is suffering because of Jonah's running? Can you see it in the text? Yeah, the other sailors, everyone else on the boat, probably the people that came to cook, probably the people that came to unpack, to to load and, you know, unpack. Everyone around him is suffering because of his disobedience. 
And we see that everyone on the ship suffered. They tossed things overboard. They forfeited the profit they would have made, getting rid of the goods that they had on the ship. They, they would have made from selling those goods that all ended up in the, motion, in the ocean. And this mirror makes me question who is suffering because I'm running. This sounds heavy. <laughs> Relax. God is going to speak to us this morning. He's so kind. He's so kind. God doesn't want to get you back. He just wants you back. He just wants you back. So who is suffering? I want to ask this question. Who is suffering because I'm running? Andy and I have had Jonah moments. You think we're great. We're not great. We have tried hard to run from God. I'm going to share a brutal experience with you. No judgment or I'll judge you. All right. All good. So our church ages ago, a little while ago, quite a while ago, just had a bit of a wild ride and Andy and I were like super done. We were done. We were done with church. I had job offers lined up in Brisbane. Our attitude sucked. We were angry. We were unrepentant, which was really just hurt, right? And God understands that and it's okay. But let's not run from him in our hurt, right? We were hurt. We actually sold our house. We sold our house to get away from Armadale. <laughs> we sold our house just like Jonah. We paid a price to run from God. And we were like, Jesus, we love you, but your people suck and we will never do this again. Like, not joking. We were so done. We were done. And maybe you've been there before. Like, the people of God have been so horrible toward you, Dan. That, um, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> come back. Maybe that's happened to you because it's happened to most of us here. And here's the reason why. This is not a people of God thing. This is a human thing. People are imperfect. And so we can talk about church hurt and it's real and I've been there. But more often, <laughs> it's actually just humans hurting other humans. It's just imperfect people being imperfect toward one another, Right. But we felt it. We felt it and we were ready to leave and we did everything that we could to leave. We sold our house. We did everything. Every possible door closed and we were devastated. We were like, great, we have to stay here. <laughs> like we were re I, <laughs> I know some of you think it's hilarious. It's because you know us. But we were actually so, it was a really low point and we were so sad that God would not allow us just to get away. We were just like, take us away from this, God. Take us away from this mess. And we were so sad that he wouldn't do that. <laughs> and we, was, we, was, we stopped running, but of course we were still sulking because who knows, that still happens. And um, at around the same time, Zoe drew us a picture. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just getting really emotional. Um, and the picture was of our family standing together in church. And the caption said, by Zoe Logan, on the day that I realized that going to church is a privilege. Oh, and it was a shot to the heart. Because everything in us was like, we don't want that. But that would have never happened. We would have never received that note if we didn't stop running. And then last weekend, Zoe and Abby are up here worship leading. Like, amazing. And I'm not, this is not about, you know, our, our family, how good we are. But the lesson that we learned here is now we know that our running 
And likewise, our repentance, it affects more than just ourselves. It flows on to everyone who knows you and to your own family. And so the next slide, this is a beautiful thing in this whole dynamic, is that God will not take his grace from you. He won't. I hope you know that. I hope you remember that. God will not take his grace from you. He doesn't take it, but we read in the prayer of Jonah, um, but we can forfeit. The the prayer of Jonah, he says, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So we can forfeit it by heading heading in a direction that we choose as opposed to the one that God chooses. And Jonah realizes in his prayer, and it applies to both him, God's person, and to the Ninevites who he is sent to speak to, um, This is what he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. My translation says they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs by their running. They forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Goes for Jonah, goes for the Ninevites. And so let's understand this morning that when we disobey, It's more than we're just being bad. Like, that's a very simplistic way of looking at running from God. It's not just that we're being bad. The flip side of that coin is we are becoming distant from God. We're becoming distant. And ironically, we end up running far away from the one whose grace and power can help us. That's insane. (laughs) Why would we do that? But in our, when we're stuck in our emotions and we're stuck in our hurt, we do do that. And we create distance between us and God. You might be thinking, and maybe due to your upbringing, maybe you had a dodgy parent in your life or a teacher or someone in authority. You know, or something happened just like with Andy and I. And you're like, gross, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about obedience. Like, I don't want to talk about that. It's horrible. It's controlling. It's not a good dynamic. Obedience isn't a good thing. We think about this way, we think about this, um, about submission as well, the word submission, obedience, submission, and uh, on repentance. <laughs> These three words, we're like, oh, some of us are like, no, gross, no way. Obedience in the Hebrew, the word is shamar. Say it to the person next to you, shamar. And it means, very good, over here. And it means to hear, to listen to give attention to, to understand, to submit to, and to obey. Now, what matters more than what this word means is the subject of your obedience. The subject of your obedience matters. The subject of your repentance matters. The subject of your submission matters. Because these three things are really so beautiful. They are beautiful things that draw us back to God. But we, when we submit to someone who is not God, and maybe you've done that in your life and maybe you've been in that situation and they are, you know, it is dangerous. It's dangerous to obey someone who is narcissistic and selfish and hurtful and without compassion. And I'll be the first to tell you, do not do that. Don't follow that person. But God's not asking us to do that. He's asking us to hear him and to listen to him and to give attention to him before everything else because that's obedience. 
And so obeying God, who is full of compassion, abounding in love, slow to anger, full of grace and power to help us, this has got to be the best type of obedience there is, right? It's got to be. He's so wonderful. And so as we look at the mirror, the mirror of Jonah, I think we can also ask, and I've been asking myself these questions, have we put rules of engagement or conditions on our obedience? So we can ask ourselves, is there, is there anything, is there a mindset, a relationship, an ambition, a lifestyle that we wouldn't relinquish if God asked us to? Will we follow him only so far and no further? Is there an unspoken level of discomfort that we will not tolerate when we're surrendering to him? Could he ask us to do something that we would just simply say, no, we will not? And I'm asking these questions not as an expert, but as a flawed, messy, disobedient, sometimes human being, because I want to grow in faith and maturity. I want to grow. So we could say that we're not really obedient until God asks us to do something we don't want to do. That's when we find out, isn't it? Now, everyone take a deep breath. Great. I hear those lungs expanding. If you are quietly hyperventilating in the corner right now, because this is heavy, I just want to say everything's going to be okay, because <laughs> God is so kind. This is only part of Jonah's story, right? His disobedience. God is so kind. And so last observation, this phrase, yet I will look again. You can go to the next slide, Abby. Yet I will look again. We read in Jonah's prayer of repentance in chapter 2. We see Jonah having a change of mind and a change of heart. And he decides to be thankful and he made, makes vows to God and he wants to make sacrifices to God. Fortunately for us, no Jewish sacrifice is required these days. Jesus was the one and all sacrifice. And he says, come to me. Come to me anytime. Live my way. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And it's never been easier for us to return and say yet again. I will look to you. Yet again, I will look to you to be obedient, God, to say yes to your ways. I will stop running. I will obey you because you're good and your plans are better than mine. And in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, we read in Jonah's prayer. This is my super old NIV translation. Jonah's been smashed by the waves. He's been smashed, smashed by the storm. He feels like he's been banished from God's side. Have you ever felt like that? You're in a situation you feel like God can't even see me. That's what it feels like, but you need to know that he can. He can still see you and he's still with you. And Jonah says, yet I will look again to your holy temple. And so just like Jonah, it's always a good question to ask. Is this time for me? Do I need to say today, yet I look again to your holy temple? Do I need to return to you, God? In any area, yet I look again to your holy temple. I... um. I love coming to church so much. I might ask Kesha to come if that's all right. I love, I love coming to church and hearing about like God's unconditional love for me and that God loves people more than the rules and that Jesus wrecked all the barriers between humanity and ourselves and, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Like I love all of that. I love it. I love all of it. And they are the reasons that I follow Jesus and I want others to follow Jesus too because it's the best life. It's the best life. But less and less frequently in our culture do we come into church with an overwhelming desire to respond to a call to repentance. Because we don't like that. <laughs> we don't want that. 
Ain't, no to, ain't nobody got time for that. That's, that's the feel. And, um, but I'm convinced that if we knew how kind God is, how overwhelmingly good God really is, we would be running into the house of God <laughs> whenever, whenever we need to. And not into this building necessarily, but we would be running to God saying, Oh God, I've had a change of heart. I'm sorry. Because He's so kind. <laughs> And He's ready. He's ready to forgive us. And He's ready to lead us. And He's ready to guide us. Repentance and obedience and submission to God are stunningly beautiful and powerful when their subject is a loving God. They bring us back close to the heart of God and close to the one who can calm the storm. And who wouldn't want that? Whether the storm is a consequence of our own actions, we've all been there. Whether the storm is just life, right? Life happens too, and it's fine. Life happens. It's not always our fault. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I just, I'd love to pray for you, if you yeah, for whatever reason this morning. But just before we do, um, Priscilla Shira, some of you might know her. She writes in a book called Life Interrupted. Listen, she says... Have you already packed your bags to Tarshish? Have you been trying as hard as you can to avoid being seen in the places where God's presence is most tangibly felt? Have you closed off any likelihood that this interruption might ultimately lead you somewhere of divine importance? Are you trying to get as far away as possible from what he's called you to do? Even if this has caught you in mid-flight, it's not too late to turn your ship around and sail back to the direction of God's will. It might not make sense to everybody. It might not even make sense to you. But I know this for sure. In fact, I know this beyond reasonable doubt that heading back to the mainland of obedience will be the best decision of your life. Imagine if every Sunday we ran into the house of God and just took a moment to say, yet I will look to you again, God. Guide me. Lead me, God. I'm sorry for running. I know you're calling me to something better than my own ways and better than my own desires. I hope you know this morning that God doesn't want to pay you back for your disobedience. He just wants you back. He just wants to be with you. He just wants to love you. And I hope you also know that if you feel like you have been through the ringer and through the storm and God isn't even interested in, in you, the opposite is true. Whether you are still stinky and covered in fish vomit, God wants you back. We'll look at the second half of Jonah next week. So say to the person next to you, no spoilers. In our house, <laughs> this happened last night. We've been watching a show and uh, Zoe's friend had told her what happened. So she walks in while we're watching it. She's like, oh, they get engaged. We're like, what? Zoe! Oh! So we, have the, we do this. Ah, uh, no, 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 don't tell me. Don't tell me. Does, any, does anyone else do that? Just us? Just us. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Just kidding. All the spoilers. So read the whole book. Will you read the whole book? Read the whole book over this next week. Before we come back together and we're just going to talk about the last two chapters. I wonder if you would just stand with me now as we pray.
It would be so silly today if we heard the Word of God calling us back to Him and just didn't respond, whether it was out of fear, whether we just don't give a rip. What a significant spiritual opportunity we would have missed if we didn't just take a moment to respond. And so maybe you're here and you're like, I need to stop running. (laughs) And that's me too. I need to stop running. Maybe you already follow Jesus or maybe you want to decide to follow Jesus for the first time. I would love to pray with you. It doesn't need to be embarrassing, but it is so important. And so if you want to come up the front anywhere up here, we'll have people to pray with you, including myself. And maybe you just need to have a yet I will look again moment. Yet I will look again to you, God. Yet I will look again. Yet I will look again. Maybe you just need that moment. You can feel free to come forward as Kesha plays and as I pray. And then we'll just pray for everyone who's here. And then we will eat potato bake, you guys. It's going to be good. Don't wait for the person next to you. Or turn to the person next to you if you came with them and say, hey, will you pray with me? Let's not miss an opportunity to say, yet I will look again, (laughs) to turn back, to turn back to God. So I'm going to pray. And if you want to come forward, you can. If you want to pray with the person next to you, you can. All that matters is that we respond to God, to what He's saying to us this morning. So God, we just thank You for Your Word. And we're sorry, God, for (laughs) even just where we've like skimmed over Your Word and we've not taken it to heart. I just want to thank you, God, more than anything. I just want to thank you that you are so kind and gracious. And that as soon as we come running back to you, God, you're right there for us. So I pray for those here who just want to stop running, just like me. God, we just take this moment and just surrender our lives to you again. We want to stop running, God. We want to follow you, Jesus, with everything. Without the barriers, without the excuses, we want to follow you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that when we follow you, that you grow us, that you heal us, that you help us. Oh, God, I thank you for your kindness. It's just beyond any words, beyond any words that we could say, God, your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So thank you, God, for every person that's here. And as we begin to pray or as we head out, whatever it is, God, would you just continue to speak to us this week through your word as we read your word together? Would you continue to speak, God? Would you continue to draw us close to you, God? We want to be obedient to you, God. We want to submit ourselves to you. Because if we're going to submit to anyone, God, you are perfect. You're kind. You're full of grace, full of power to help us. So just say, we love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our lives. Pray that your presence would be felt until we gather again next week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.